Good afternoon, and welcome to Strategies to Secure Your Move to the Cloud, a health system CIO media production sponsored by Clear Data. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time, first, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Michael Carr, VP and CIO at Health First, Sanjeev Sa, VP and CISO at Centura Health, and Andy Gilbert, Chief Revenue Officer with Clear Data. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in. Michael, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, and th thanks for having us today and sponsoring this conversation. So uh, Health First, we're an integrated delivery network, uh, the only one in Central Florida. We're on the Space Coast, so think SpaceX, Cape Canaveral, that's, that's our geography. Uh, we, we're about 9,000 associates, uh, said about, about third health plan, third hospital, third delivery system, uh, been around for about 30 years. And, and this is a, a topic near and dear to us because we're going through a lot of this uh, transformation and modernization and cloud seems to be a big piece of that. So my role as CIO, I've uh, been in this role for about two months now. So fairly new to the role, been in the organization about three and a half years. My, my background is as both CTO and CISO. So, uh, been on the, the security side of it, and, and now as a CIO, it, it's uh, uh, both the, the cloud and the security. Securing the cloud are two things we think we spend a lot of time thinking about. So, very good, Michael. Thank you, Sanjeev. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Sanjeev Sa. I serve as Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Centura Health. My organization is a healthcare system extending whole person care to communities and people we serve in Colorado, Kansas, and Utah. Uh, in my role, I lead infrastructure and engineering, as well as information security functions for my organization, uh, working with my teams, uh, stakeholders, partners. We strive to create a secure resilient and efficient technology ecosystem to support business and clinical operations, as well as enable uh, corporate strategy. Again, thank you for having me. All right. Very good. Andy. Great. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for everyone's participation and joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, I am Andy Gilbert, the Chief Revenue Officer of ClearData. And what ClearData is, is we are a healthcare-only uh, company that we provide a platform uh, that allows you to uh, operate in healthcare companies to operate in the cloud in a compliant and secure manner. We protect the PHI. Uh, we are running, it enables you to run in a high trust certified environment uh, because we have the, you know, think of the CFPM software, then all the services from security, compliance operations that help people uh, reduce their cost, uh, reduce their risk while acceler accelerating time to value and making sure you're on a secure, safe platform in the cloud. We have about 250 clients. So uh, hoping to bring a little bit of that rounded what we see from our uh, entire client base to this conversation today. So thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Andy. All right. Uh, big slide here. Lots of stuff. So we're going to take our time as, as we go through it. Um, Michael, we're going to start with you. Discuss the complexities 
of cloud security and compliance, especially with PHI. How and why is it different than providing security to in-house data centers? What's involved with retraining existing staff to deal with cloud security and compliance? And when is it necessary to bring in new staff with different skill sets? So a lot there, wherever you want to start. Yeah, I like how you started with the easy question first. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, I think the first thing is, um, you, you know, when you think about securing in the cloud is understanding what it is that you're securing. Uh, what I mean by that is, is you know, a lot of vendors, almost all the vendors offer a, a cloud solution nowadays. And, and when you dig in, you know, the question, is it really a cloud solution or are you just hosting this in someone else's data center? Um, and is it cloud in terms of how I think of cloud, in terms of how it scales, how you access it, the billing piece of that. So is it IaaS, is it PaaS, is it SaaS? So I think the first piece is understanding that. Um, and then the second one is, is understanding the capabilities of the security vendor. I think a lot of times, transparently, they oversell how secure their platforms are. Uh, and we've seen that with a number of data breaches. Uh, just moving it to the cloud doesn't inherently make it any more or less secure. Uh, and so I think one is understanding what it is, your, what type of service it is, uh, how um, having the team understand how it operates differently than on-prem. And then of course, if you're managing it in your, in your cloud instance, or if it's just a, a service that you're subscribing to, I think that's a lot of the upfront work that if you're primarily living in an on-prem environment and moving to the cloud, that takes some time for, for your engineers and, and technologists to understand. Uh, Michael, quick follow-up there. I mean, sure. is the biggest distinction here if you're managing it versus someone else is managing it? Because if someone else is managing it, that kind of takes it off your plate. If you're managing it, I think that's where we get into most of the issues of, do you know what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to clarify that. And even, even uh, you know, that that's the big distinction. Even if they are managing it, um, you know, I... Uh, there's a there's a um, sometimes a um, a pension for people to say well the vendor owns that the vendor owns that no no we we're still accountable regardless if the vendor is managing we still have to assess them we still have to audit them right so it changes the scope and role of more of an audit compliance role versus I'm actively securing that so we still have an accountability we can't just say hands off because the the vendor's handling handling the security right and so you don't get away from the fact that you need to understand how it needs to be secured in the cloud by giving it to someone else. Because if you don't understand it, you can't audit them. You can't judge whether or not they're doing the proper thing. So you really don't get away from having to understand the complexities of securing things in the cloud. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very interesting. All right, Sanjeev, your thoughts. You know, uh, Michael, uh, I think that was very well articulated in terms of you know, how that is a joint accountability and responsibility in terms of protecting cloud assets and cloud uh, systems. You know, so protecting um, cloud resources and workloads and apps uh, in 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 an ecosystem can come in various different flavors depending on the service that we are talking about, right? So it's not always, it's just either infrastructure as service or platform as service or software as service. We could have, one of each of those uh, mm -hmm. scenarios at play. And our responsibilities can vary depending on uh, which particular flavor of uh, cloud or cloud offering we're discussing and we're talking about. So, you know, things get complex pretty quick when, when we talk about cloud security. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these solutions uh, really play a critical role in enabling our digital transformation for our organizations because of 
the nature of solutions that are available and how quickly we can adapt and 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 excel and expedite our digital transformations. But to leverage it, uh, we must have an heightened trust and confidence in the efficiency of the service, the security of it, and resilience of it. So security is complex. Uh, it's a it's a it's a very complex topic. Whether we are transitioning to the cloud uh, or further along the journey to achieve security and compliance requirements across all of these types of uh, offerings uh, for either apps, resources, or services, a thoughtful and programmatic approach uh, is really needed. And and that that thoughtful and programmatic approach goes from initially uh, even arranging the service and what type of contractual arrangements you have to what type of safeguards and controls and monitoring you have in place. Uh, what's the ongoing uh, monitoring capabilities? What are the roles and responsibility uh, among the, the stakeholder group that's working to safeguard that solution, right? So sometimes it's internal um, associates, at times it's your partners, and at times it's service providers. In all of that, uh, what I'm uh, probably conveying for, for our audience is that it's a complex topic and requires thoughtful and deliberate process by which each of these issues ought to be addressed. Sanjeev, uh, when you're talking, it, it made me think about how important I'm guessing it is for the the business to stay in step with the with IT represented by the CIO to stay in to stay in step with the CISO. You talk about these different types of arrangements and the complexities of them, and I'm picturing scenarios where things are changing as as the business is having conversations with the vendor. You know, scenarios are thrown out. Let's move forward in this way. Let's move forward in that way. Perhaps the CISO and IT are brought in and feedback is given. And then at some point, that scenario on the business side with the vendor changes. Oh, well, no, no, let's do it that way. But the CISO and the CIO are not brought along to the new flavor. And then all of a sudden you say, whoa, whoa, that's not what, that's not the last thing I heard about. That's much different. Does that make sense that that all these entities need to keep security, especially NIT, in the loop as these discussions go forward? It can't change without you guys being involved. No, ab- absolutely. There's a right time for uh, security mindset to be partnering with business as well as IT processes to provide input or advice or architectural um, uh, decisions and standards that help shape that overall decision making. So, for example, let's say we're having conversation with uh, a business partner, um, and IT is represented by IT business partner in that relationship. We are brought into the conversation to ensure that we have a good understanding of the topic being discussed. At some point, it becomes a formal uh, uh, request, a formal idea that then goes through architectural. Uh, considerations and discussion in terms of how does it fit into our current architecture? What else needs to evolve to support the model? What are the security considerations that we need to make? And then, you know, I want to also focus on stability and resilience aspect of it uh, beyond security. And as as I lead infrastructure and engineering, I'm extremely mindful of its uh, supports and operations in the in the in the long view as well. So as long as in information security. 
uh, in all its uh, um, form has an ability to participate and provide that input, which we do in our organization, then we're able to guide our, our business partners and our IT colleagues in a way that outcomes are much more positive majority of the time. And we can all acknowledge that in our realities, in our environments, uh, things sometimes move faster, but there are different checkpoints in the process to give us an opportunity to provide the right input. And I think that's the only way to really um, be a productive participant in the process in enabling as well as supporting the business needs. Michael, any thoughts there about potential decoupling of, you know, as things evolve where, you know, IT is brought in, but not perhaps updated as scenarios change. And then so you could have a decoupling between business and IT. You could also have a decoupling between IT and security. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, that relationship, regardless of reporting relationship, has to be uh, uh, in tune. I, I think what I've seen has been successful is, and it kind of goes back to the first question is, we have to be more involved with the vendor roadmap. Uh, than we had to, than we were able to in the past. I think the earlier you get involved and understand where they're going, because uh, what, what I found with a lot of healthcare vendors, yeah, the big ones are, are pretty mature, but a, a lot of the vendors we deal with are not large, mature, uh, I, would, I would say enterprise class software vendors. So those are the ones I'm most concerned about is, is how do we help them and consult with them, understand what the business is trying to do with them. And, and a lot of them are very receptive to taking customer feedback, say, we want to do this, right? So we're trying to embed our, our, our engineers and our technologists, our, our, our security team with them so we can help influence the roadmap to make sure that as they're building out new functions and capability, that they're, they're, they're not forgetting the security aspect and we're trying to secure it on the back end. All right, Andy, lots of stuff going on there. Where do you want to jump in? What's the number one thing on your mind after listening to all that? You know, it's it's really interesting that both Sanjeev and Michael you know, approach it and approach it from a couple different directions, the same question. And, you know, you look at, you know, we have, like I mentioned, we have 240, 50 clients uh, and we have three different segments of clients, basically the health tech vendors that Michael was talking a lot about, right? The payers and providers, and then life science. So um, the on the health tech side, a lot of what these companies come to us for, and, and a lot of our clients, what they tell us is, you know, they're a smaller company, they're providing machine learning algorithms, they're providing uh, supply chain solutions, they're providing revenue operations platforms, things like that. And they want to keep their people focused on developing those applications of the platforms. They don't want to worry about the security and the compliance and things like that. So what they do is their main objective is to come to us and to run within our platform within either Azure, AWS, or GCP. Uh, and once they're on our platform, they can then use our high trust attestation. They can use our SOC 2 to go to Michael or Sanjeev and say, hey, you know, here, look, we have all of this because we know we're running with this compliance. Here's our compliance scores over time. They're able to prove back in history, show you that they're doing those types of things. So that really serves a very interesting piece of our business. But then my uh, Sanjeev, to, to a lot of the things that you were talking about from the application development side, what we tend to run in and our clients come to us and they say, you know, it, I think you said uh, you have to be very uh thoughtful and about your approach to the cloud because there is so much and it's not just one cloud many people many of our clients are multi-cloud right so what happens is 
Uh, for example, we had a client who came to us and said, hey, we've got this Azure thing figured out. We've got a person. We've got you know uh, people who understand Azure. We're good there. Uh, but then all of a sudden, our innovation team comes to us and says they won't use Azure. They want to use AWS. And you know for whatever reason, this group was more comfortable with that. So they didn't want to slow the business down. So we were helping them and we've deployed our solution across their AWS environment. And they're, they're actually running an um, epic uh, read-only instance over there, as well as some innovation projects. And they're doing that because they said, hey, what we really want to do is we're going to focus on this Azure stuff. You guys, it's, it's almost a stamp of approval from a framework perspective, because as you mentioned, things change on a daily, monthly basis where these controls change, where the compliance changes, where the security changes. So we have all that back end, the security tooling. We, you know, we use third-party tooling, you know, things like the best of breed stuff. We have our own compliance platform. But then once you know and you have that familiarity and you have that uh, trust that if it's deployed within that clear data um, platform, all of a sudden you trust that they can go ahead and move and it's they're able to stay agile while maintaining the compliance that you would expect in order to deliver in a secure and compliant manner. So it's 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 a really, you know, our clients come to us because and they tell us that, you know, this multi-cloud thing, as well as then, you know, over time, we've had a bunch of our clients who have just over time, they said, you know what, I no longer want to keep up with this. There's 500 different controls within high trust that I have to keep up with and I have to know, you know, and I can no longer keep up with all of these on a daily, monthly basis. And this is all you do. Okay, you take care of this for us. <laughs> and so those are the types of things, those are the reasons people are coming to us because it, it is complex and they want to do, they want to focus their time. And many times it's the application developers who are kind of saddled with this part-time. Or somebody else that says, oh, yeah, you also have to know these cloud security or cloud compliance controls. And, you know, they don't want to deal with that. They want to do their application development job. They want to bring the data over. They want to do all these other things that uh, and, and focus on their day job. And so that's what we're seeing a lot of is these clients who want to move fast. They want to be agile. Uh, and, and they're just struggling with keeping up with the pace of change. So Andy, um, you know, high trust is interesting, right? I've heard I've heard some CISOs say, you know, absolutely they want to see it. I've heard a, another one specifically remember saying, I've got my own qualifications. So I'm not, I don't care what you have, you're going through my system because yeah. I'm even more extensive than high trust. So there were different points of view I've heard from very reputable CISOs on yeah. high trust. Um but I'm assuming that people like um, Sanjeev and Michael want to see something, right? Something is probably better than nothing. So what's interesting, what you're saying is, and high trust I've heard is quite onerous to get, but now they have tiers, which makes it a little easier for some of the smaller vendors. Um, but they can, you're saying they can come in under you and sort of get your coverage in a sense for like, they get the high trust stamp by coming in under you. Is that right? Yeah. And, and just to be clear, uh, we can evaluate, you can kind of from a, just a pick down menu. It's really easy for us to switch to NIST or ISO 
uh, or uh, HIPAA or high trust. So I just use high trust as an example, but uh, because high trust is especially the 9.5.2 that we're on is an onerous process. And everyone who goes through that, people feel some level of comfort that says, okay, I understand that there's, you know, that comfort. And so when like a, a health tech vendor leverages us, they can't go out and say that they're high trust cert- certified because they leverage us, but they can say that we're running in a high trust certified environment. And here's the attestation to prove that. Hmm. And so, you know, that it is a step towards that and they can inherit, you know, if they want to get high trust certification on their own, they can inherit over half the controls from us. Hmm. So gets them, gets them somewhat towards that goal. Right. And, and so whether it's a healthcare provider payer or, a health tech company, you can inherit our controls and things like that. So it makes it easier for those people who do want to take on that journey of high trust. Sanjeev, let me ask you about that. Uh, what are your thoughts there? What do you like to see? Uh, again, I've heard those different perspectives and it's not just high trust. As Andy mentioned, there's, there's different things out there, but you know, vendors coming to you, what are you looking for? Yeah. You know, um, Anthony, that's a really good question and I'd love to comment on that as well. Um, Andy, you know, when I heard you speak about, um, you know, how certain validations help with customer trust and confidence, right? Um, High trust is a perfectly good framework uh, to leverage uh, for seeking that validation, seeking that certification, as well as uh, others like SAT 70 type 2 um, and, and so on. But I think the important aspect of that is validating the fact that all of the components of information security measures that we would be interested in, which is incorporated in NIST, incorporated in high trust, that the organization and its people, its processes and systems are meeting the requirements within it. Meeting the requirements within it uh, to a to a, a degree, gives us a, the confidence that all aspects that are very important from a security and privacy, as well as compliance perspective, organization is capable of handling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you think about it from a customer perspective, it gives us the confidence to make that move because we internally, when we build systems and deploy system, our people follow processes. We essentially employ this same measures for ourselves, right? We're not just putting a burden on someone else that we wouldn't put on ourselves because at the end of the day, we're looking for comprehensive um, security with compliance that addresses the issue of resilience as well. And so if we're doing that, you know, applying that in one place, but not applying that somewhere else, it doesn't give you the advantage you're looking for from a business operations perspective. So to, to Andy's point, that's the part that I was focusing on. It's just ensuring that, again, you have a thoughtful methodical process to leverage to give you the confidence and trust that you seek in adopting any type of technology, including uh, cloud services. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm 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 with some too on, on that. I I am um, I'm a big standards guy. So um you know you kind of go to the basics and, and that's a way to weed out people who haven't put in the time or thought about it up front, whether it's you know NIST or 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 high trust or others. I you know it's kind of a, a starting point for us. And and so um yeah, I, I think the, the other piece is is kind of the auditing and and that's fine, show us, prove us, right? And that's where I think 
a lot of times it falls down for, for some of the vendors is like, great, you, you, you've done this initial certification. Show me that you have these controls. Show me what you're, you know. And so I think that's where a lot of them struggle because they probably brought in, I'm guessing, they brought in somebody to help them build out the initial, uh, you know, security of their platform or their application, but they don't necessarily, they're not big enough to have a dedicated security team or people looking at it. So that's sometimes what we find is 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 the rub of when we say prove to us the audit side of it, they struggle to, to be able to to um, kind of meet our expectations, and and sometimes that rules out vendors for us. And Michael, I think uh, if, if it's okay, um, what I wanted to also highlight along uh, those lines is that you know cyber hygiene is so important uh, in making sure one uh, you have safeguards and controls present, but they're also effective, right, and you know, try to validate that across all areas of cybersecurity on your own. It 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 takes resources and time to be able to do that. And so these validations and certifications are a way to get to that answer for a third party for sure uh, in a meaningful and uh, comprehensive and most efficient way. Sanjeev, you use the term present, but also effective. Tell me what a little bit more about what you mean by that. How well, can it be present and not effective, right? That's the well, question. Yeah, so a very simple example would be, let's say you have uh, endpoints like computers and laptops and you have a, 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 a malware defense tool running on it. But you know the malware defense tool can run in monitor mode, protect mode, and there are other variations of that. If it's just in a monitor mode, for example, a safeguard is present, it's monitoring, but it's really not preventing it from uh, expanding or going from somewhere from there. So just using a very simple example, you have it, but it's not effective use of it in its full intent, right? It's effective the fact that it's monitoring, it's present, but not necessarily it's safeguarding. Now, since I made that comment, I should also say not in all places you can go ahead and and apply all um, elements of a safeguard, but you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we know that, you know, work to make things easier and not become uh, a much more difficult work or some organizations don't have resources to make it happen. Uh, you know, you go to take the first step, but you never really complete the full step. And so that's where the effectiveness comes from. And that's just a simple example. And there are hundreds of examples like that. Yes, yeah, Sanjeev, I, I agree with you. And the thing that we often see is when People, vendors would come and say, hey, we've got a highly resilient architecture. We're in two data centers, geographically diverse, a full DR environment. And we say, great, show us the last time you tested it. And, which, and they're like, well, we haven't tested it. And that's, you have it, but if you can't prove that it works, if you can't tell me like, hey, yeah, here's our RTO and RPO and how we test it internally, you have it, but you, it's not effective. You, you can't prove that it actually works. And it, I'm always surprised at how many times people say, yeah, we, we, we haven't done that yet. Michael, it's very similar to having a, uh, incident response plan, but never really having the opportunity to have a tabletop exercise, you know, so when it's happened, you know, we scramble because uh, most um, uh, people or organizations haven't had the opportunity to actually um, exercise that. And so, you know, just maybe a, a advice for the community would be, you know, if you have one, please exercise it. If you don't have one, please put one together and and conduct an exercise. It will be a huge advantage when it's needed. Absolutely. So, Sanjeev, is is the point sort of that even if there is certification, um, extra review is required to make sure 
uh, its effective use? Or is it that when you have certification, that shows effective use that's been verified? Well, I think certification leads to uh, a periodic assessment, right? So it's it's uh, in a particular time period that uh, assessment was conducted, and thus you have a certification for that period. The the conversation we're having in terms of effectiveness has to do with ongoing presence mm-hmm. of safeguards and controls and how effective are they. But also with certifications, uh, environments change, architectures change, people, processes, and technologies, components change. So having ongoing monitoring of that you know, with business partners or within your organization is also an important aspect of remaining resilient. And 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 resilient means, you know, that you have effective uh, safeguards and controls and you continue to strive to make them even more effective. And then uh, if things do uh, occur from a cyber perspective, that you have a way to recover quickly uh, and, and efficiently and bringing organization back to operations, right? That's part of being resilient. And, and we know that very well from a variety of our life experiences. And the same is true for even technology and technology ecosystems. Great, great points. Andy, let's let's bring you in here. And if you want to expand on this concept that nobody who's doing their job properly in a security position is satisfied with a moment in time snapshot of anything, right? Because we talk about how things change. Companies um, may have everything straightened out at that moment of certification, and then things change. People leave who are doing things well. People come in who aren't doing things as well. There's an acquisition. They acquire a company, take their eye off the bull, or they are acquired and are no longer the ones in charge of what's going to happen. So things continually change. And when you have hundreds of vendors Um, And constantly new vendors being requested and coming on. Uh, You also have hundreds of, you know, these hundreds of existing vendors, which perhaps you you would like to review according to a new standard that you put in place. So, you know, now we're going to do this for all incoming vendors. What about the 500 we have? Well, some people are saying, and I've heard this, some people say, well, I'm not going back. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to worry about going. I've literally heard it. It's just too much. So we're just going to not worry about that. I'm going to manage the new ones to the new bar. Other companies are going back and saying, I want to bring everybody up to this bar. Huge, huge projects. And again, can't have snapshots in time. So this all has to be done at certain uh, periodic intervals. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. A lot of our provider clients go through that. And one of the things that um, they they really value is we have we have a regular cadence with them, whether it's monthly, quarterly, it depends upon the project, the people and all this other stuff. And, you know, uh, different, you know, we obviously have weekly cadences with the uh, day-to-day people, but um, one of the things that we continue to see is uh, that focus on having some sort of a cadence and a process where you're continually reviewing the history of what's going on because, you know, whether it's an auditor, a CIO, a CISO, whoever it is, they want to see that history of compliance and security. They, there might be a dip at a point in time, but then it comes right back up. Right. Uh, And so for example, our platform automatically remediates from a compliance perspective. So if you forget to turn on encryption, if an application developer 
puts it on a Terraform and within this Terraform, they forget to put on encryption. It'll automatically deploy encryption when it comes through uh, on, on the cloud for us. And it'll show you that it did that. But um, that remaining in compliance is so important on those cadence and showing, you know, I, I mentioned the third party tools, you know, from a security perspective, going through and talking and showing the past quarter or past month of, hey, you know, the vast majority of all this stuff was false positives. We have a cyber threat intelligence team. You know, it's a contributory network because all of our 250 clients, it's all healthcare. We get to see a lot more. And then, but here's the three things that really matter that happened in this past month. And here's how we dealt with them. And here's how we took care of them. And we called your team and got them involved on these two of them. And here's why, and here's what happened. And that continued compliance and being able to have that reporting analysis and then structured time is something that's just very valuable uh, for our clients that they that they institute on their own, and then we help bring through for them because it's they want to be able to see to Sanjeev's point that history, that continued knowledge that these things are going on. It's not just a point in time. Hey, we had this new acquisition. And we had this brownfield environment that we wanted to bring on that was already running from this acquisition, but we wanted to make sure that it's now up to our standards because it may have been up to their standards or maybe there were no standards. We're not exactly sure. But now that we're bringing it on, we want to make sure it's up to those standards. And so that continued working at it on a daily basis is really important. And then you have to have those check-ins to prove that that's going on or else, you know, anything you don't measure, you don't manage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good points. Good points. Michael, when we talk about these hundreds of vendors, um, is there, is there, or what, what currently or in the future do you see as the role of automation to make these, you know, continual reviews and, and making sure all these vendors are where they need to be from a security point of view, new vendors coming in. I'm sure a tremendous amount of this right now is done one-off human beings dealing with this, uh, do you see the potential for automation to help here, or you see it being sort of human heavy for a long time to come? Uh, um, yeah, uh, I think human heavy for a while. I think there are our tools vendors, and, and we see more of that even how we manage our internal cloud instance. Uh, I still think it requires uh, somebody who understands, you know, automation isn't a silver bullet, right? You, you have to have a good, solid, repeatable process to then automate it, right? And I think where, where we see with a lot of these vendors, and I think back to some of the big ones in healthcare, some of the breaches, um, you know, uh, so on the vendor side the past couple of years, I'm sure they had a lot of tools, a lot of automation. They still had ransomware, right? And those kind of things. So I think for us, it's it's blending that in to say, once we have a standard repeatable process, yes, let's automate it. Let's rely on some of those vendor third parties. You know, we, we uh, not to, you know, our, our EDR platform, uh, I think is very good. We've seen some of the vendors incorporate those automations into their, their native product and, and we start to rely on those. And I think over time, if people get more comfortable, the human side of it, we, we don't have to double check as much. We, we trust mm -hmm. it more. So I think it's that trust but verify. So when it gets to the point where it can, we, we have trust and confidence, then I think we start to back off the humans and start to, to focus on other areas. Where it gets dicey though, is that SaaS piece of, you know, that of, of I, I don't know what the vendor is doing inside their, uh, their environment. I don't know how they're managing. I don't know how they're applying automation. So. I think in terms of what you manage, it's a good part of it. Then you're relying on that vendor to say, are they putting the same rigor around their automation capabilities? Sanjeev, thoughts? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, getting a little, uh, I, I, first, I love how um, Michael articulated, uh, you know, his viewpoint on this topic. I wanted to get a little uh, more specific in terms of what, what would then be really helpful, um, you know, from uh, achieving the cloud security topic that um, that we've been talking about. So let's take that a step further, right? So uh, either it's our teams or it's uh, service providers or partners, you know, the security by design that, that we all know about um, it really has to be a critical element in ensuring that the the, the process uh, for SDLC that accomplishes you know the entirety of the goal from start to to end in terms of going from development to production really has to have full uh, context of security in mind uh, and in practice uh, for doing that. But then, how do you ensure that there's a consistency? in the design itself uh, in achieving the objective. So this ought to be uh, our, a way of orchestrating cloud security policy that we would want as an organization uh, in all our relationships across the board. And so to be able to do that uh, requires, again, when I say thoughtful, I'm, you know, I mean documented, understood policy standards and protocol that are then applied tested against and monitored uh, for how you orchestrate the, the deployment through the, this SDLC process. And um, all, all of that said and done, you still have to focus on uh, uh, managing the attack surface, right? We have to have a efficient way of um, understanding how threats um, are impacting it, what are the changes that we would need to make based on understanding of the threats and uh, exposures uh, associated with um, evolving threat landscape and, and, and managing vulnerabilities which come about on an ongoing basis, as you know, um, to stay on top of the architecture that we are expecting to be in this relationship and partnership co-managed scenario uh, to be continuously resilient. And so you get to a state of certification, validation, attestation, well, then the outcomes of those exercises would be consistent in terms of, oh, it was certified to be in a good state. Let's just use a good state as an mm-hmm. acceptable state, um, you know, um, six months ago and taking all of the changes into account, I we find the, the environment to be still in good state. That's really the way you get there in terms of, um, uh, you know, how do you really evolve over time and how do you ensure that you have um, the state that you desire in terms of uh, cloud security? Andy, any thoughts on what Sanjeev's just described? Uh, he's exactly, Sanjeev is exactly correct. I love it. And it's it, it's exactly kind of the best practice that we see. It's a daily grind to continue to make sure that these things are done on a daily basis but then it's that thoughtful approach to bring it all together and say here's where we're going because there are so many things changing there's so many controls changing there's so many new services within AWS every single month that you can go and use they're making more of them more of them you know HIPAA eligible right but just because they're HIPAA eligible doesn't necessarily mean that they're 
uh, HIPAA compliant out of the box. You have to know which switches to, to uh, flip, right, in order to make it that way. So it's continuing to understand all of those things on a day-to-day -day basis. It's continuing to have the right, you know, within your SIM and your SOAR, having the right type of data an analysis put in there from the EDR tools and all of the other tools that you have to ensure that you're now protecting against new threats. And going and to Sanjeev's point, exactly, it's it's continue to have the thoughtful approach to build it right on the upfront, forward thinking, daily execution, and then at periodic times coming back and checking and making sure that those things are continued to be done and you're keeping up with the demand of the users whether it's new vendors coming in or whether it's your application development team uh, and, and developing new apps or data and analytics on your own. Those are the best practices that we see exactly. Michael, I want to um, go in a little more detail, one of the dynamics that, that you touched on, and I hear about quite a bit from CISOs um, and CIOs. It's, this, it's, the, it's the dynamic of these very valuable unique vendors. They're very valuable to the business. The business perhaps discovers them. One of the business lines, one of the departments, surgery, whatnot. And there's this vendor that does this amazing stuff and they, 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 they're great. Okay. We want them. Uh, comes over to security and you're like, these, it's a wonderful, there's no security here or it's not sufficient or this is not. And they say, but listen, this is unique. This will save lives. This is patient care. So you say, okay, Essentially, you wind up becoming the CISO for the organization. I think you touched on that dynamic, and I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, let's say we're talking about a cloud environment, and we're talking about that dynamic. Number one, is that an accurate description of something that happens? And number two, how do you deal with that? Um, you want to protect the enterprise, but you also want to uh, empower the business with what they say they need. Yeah, I would say it happens less. Um, I, I would say in years past, uh, it happened a lot more. I think part of it is education with senior leaders, business leaders to understand, hey, you know, my job, um, I, I'm not a, I do not make the, the decisions on risk for the organization. Uh, I will bring it up to the CEO who I report to and say, hey, this is high risk. If you want to accept it, it's well within your, but know what you're accepting, right? So, so for me, it's all about making sure that business leader, before they go with that accepting request, that they understand they're willing to go on. Um, um, uh, you know, uh, um, they're willing to put themselves out there and go to the CEO and say, yep, I recommend that we bypass our best practices and recommendations from our security team and adopt this new technology. It hasn't happened since I've been here. Um, and, and so I think a lot of it's education. And when those new vendors come in that we're a little unsure of is people say, hey, we're, we're willing to work with you. We're not going to, you know, of course, with PHI or any sensitive information, we're, we're able to consult and provide information, feedback our experiences. Uh, but we're, we're just not going to let you move data and, and start to, to um, you know, uh, adopt technologies that, that we can't support. So that's been a maturation of the organization. And, and I said, I'm, I'm thankful that that it, it rarely happens when somebody comes out and says, hey, I know nobody supports this, but we think we need to do it. But, Michael, do you ever get to the point where uh, it's sort of like, well, can you get them up to speed? And then you're acting like an outside yeah. consultant and you're like, hey, guys. You got a great tool. We'd love to use you. And here's what you need to do. And you almost wind up becoming this outside consultant. We, we, we absolutely do that. And, and uh, you know, I look at that as is that is a partnership approach. And I'd rather not be. I'd rather us pick vendors that, that are more mature. But sometimes they do have a good product. They're working on it. But they need feedback and advice on how to make it 
um, you know, uh, how to make it compliant to our standards, but also to the industry. And so <clears throat> I think when those things happen, um, you know, we, we, we usually try to set some guardrails and timelines and say, like, hey, we're not going to build out their whole entire security program, but here are the things that they need to get to. Uh, we'll point them in the direction, but I'm not going to have my team sit down with them and, and kind of design a security program. We just can't do that. Uh, but recently we had a vendor that is we find pockets of ones that, you know, basically they didn't know that they weren't HIPAA compliant. And I was like, how did you not know that? <laughs> like, uh, you know, that's something I shouldn't tell you and, and I shouldn't have to tell you. So it's things like that where they still pop up, but that was one that had been in the environment for a while that we kind of found. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a cost of doing business, but you got to draw the line and say, we're only going to go this far. And at some point you, you, you got to back away. Michael, you can just refer them to us. Oh, you go, go, go refer. That's a great point. I was actually thinking about the name. Absolutely. There you absolutely. go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Sanjeev, have you seen this dynamic with these smaller vendors? Uh, absolutely have. And Michael uh, articulated uh, his response quite well. Uh, and and the, the true nature of uh, the vendors that come into play for any major health system would be of every flavor, right? Uh, some are large, some are small, some are innovative and new, uh, different degrees of uh, security and, and compliance measures. But I think what we find is that we have a, a pretty robust uh, assessment methodology. It produces a result and the results are then guided with business context in terms of the value proposition, the, the level of risk um, associated, what corrective measures can the vendor or partner take to be able to fit into our architectural uh, uh, fit uh, criteria that we have, right? So all of that is at play for sure. Um, and yes, it's less than less uh, in terms of uh, somebody making a demand uh, of a product that just doesn't fit the architectural uh, uh, context that we are operating in. And, and that, that doesn't happen very often. But what happens very often is where vendors really have a good product, they want to work with us, we want to work with them, but they just lack security and compliance measures that uh, enable both of us to have a have a relationship. In that, we provide a very honest feedback. Uh, and, and a lot of times vendors will go back and have a roadmap and they work on that roadmap and come back and 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 be successfully part of offering that that we have in terms of partnership and relationships. Some just can't do that, and and that's okay. Not everyone can go ahead and 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 do that. But I think it's the the, the partnership approach is extremely valuable. Uh, innovation sometimes requires us to uh, embrace new technologies that do come up come with risks that typically. Um, is is not part of the scope of toleration per se, uh, but then we can work with them to make sure they meet uh, the the basic as well as optimized requirements and needs that we have as an organization. And and this is true for the industry. I, you know, just think about healthcare innovations that have taken place uh, during just the COVID period and rapid adoptions, and and that's not stopping. Um, but rat, rapid adoptions um, with innovation with security and compliance is what we promote. Very good. All right. I want to go to my favorite part, ask a co-panelist. Uh, Sanjeev, I want to give you the opportunity first to ask your co-panelist a question. Well, this this feels like an opportunity I can really go after. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to both Michael and Andy, I guess what 
types of approaches from a governance and architecture perspective that you have promoted or employed in your organizations to kind of serve this overall intent of having a proper cloud security uh, model uh, for your organizations? Uh, Michael, you want to go first? Yeah, um, it, it's a great question, Sajid. We, we, we worked a lot on this and building it into our architectural review process that, that architecture and security kind of co-own. And, and I think when, when, when I first got here, you know, there was the questionnaire if it was a, a cloud vendor was, is it a cloud vendor? And then it stopped. <laughs> and so uh, we've matured that to be, okay, you know, the work doesn't stop there. So I think for us, it's really uh, making sure security is at the table, um, co-partnering with architecture around the intake and the development uh, and making sure that we have people on the team who, who, who are, uh, who are knowledgeable about, um, you know, our, um, and we don't have many of them, we're, we're a mid-sized organization, but people that are knowledgeable about cloud security, because I think it, it take, if you just ask general questions, um, um, you, you, you don't get to the root sometimes and, and you can't ask the meaningful, thoughtful questions of the vendor. You just look at the SOC 2 and say, oh, good enough, right? So that's what we've tried to do is incorporate into that, uh, make sure that before we even start picking vendors, they have our, our, our requirements and what we're going to assess against. And so it's an open book test paper, basically. So, so our job is if you don't pass it, it's, it's a, you know, we can't meet the requirements like we told you ahead of time. We told the, the business owner ahead of time before you go looking for vendors. If you if you pick one and and it doesn't meet these requirements, then then the answer is going to be we don't recommend. Andy, yeah, I think it's a great question. And since this is all we do, and it's what we do, right? It's kind of core to us. Is, is I would say that the main one of the main learnings that we've had is that the importance of security, compliance, and operations continuing to work together at all times through this governance process and the architecture process. Uh, because if you have silos and, you know, where we find within our clients when they come to us and they're newer with us and things like that, we find when there's uh, kind of misses, it tends to be because they're silos. It's not because they don't think about it, but because they're silos. And there's people who are thinking about it from a security perspective or a compliance perspective, or there's a different team that's thinking about compliance and one team's talking about operations. And if they're not working together and that governance process isn't working together, then that's where the kind of the two ships sailing in the nights happen, right? And, and that's one of the things that we work with our clients a lot on and that we do internally is to make sure that that is all done in unison and cohesively in order to have one architecture and governance plan as opposed to several. All right. Very good. I think, um, no, I have to, I have to give Michael an opportunity. I want to hear what he wants to ask. Michael, come on. What yeah, question no, I, do you I have, have for your panelists? And this is one I've, we've been kind of struggling with is this, and you kind of alluded there of this, this, you know, how, how have you guys approached or how have you seen people approach? Do you, do you create a separate cloud security team or, or do you, do you break out the security discipline into on-prem and cloud, or do you really try to cross train to so have a hybrid type of team? So that's one of the things we're kind of, challenge with a focus versus versus asking people to do a little bit of everything. That's a great question. Sanjeev, you want to go first? Well, I think uh, the important, um, I love that question. An important part of that question is having the right skill sets, either that's in a single team, uh, distributed team, but you ought to have a center of excellence that looks after the needs uh, and I'm going to say this in this way, needs of the cloud, right? Um, 
and that needs uh, are of different types, including security. And as much as you can, and I can have a center of excellence where right skill sets from infrastructure, networking, security, um, and applications are present, um, then a, a combined team of mindset, virtual or physical, can then uh, accommodate for all of the concerns that, that Michael, you are alluding to in, in terms of addressing. And I think it depends on the size of the organization, uh, number of associates you and I can have. Uh, we may have partners that we might bring to, to the table to complement um, you know, achieving the totality of the need that's uh, on the table, right? So that's how we have approached it as a journey. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing Andy's thoughts on how, uh, you know, he he looks after that topic. Andy, what are you seeing out there with the clients? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a great question because uh, as someone who provides a service, what we tend to see is people approach it in a lot of different ways. But the, the, the capacity and the resourcing always ends up being the challenge, right? And it's the, how many cloud experts do you have? How many cloud security experts do you have? How much of this burden do you place on the developers versus the security team? You know, all of those questions that are the complex parts of this. And that's why we tend to see our clients who come to us, um, we'll, we'll ramp up and do more for them at certain cycles of their development and then ramp down and do less for them in other cycles because of that exact question. Because there's times when, you know, if you're kind of steady state and you're doing, you're kind of deployed and you have these resources, it's okay. And you kind of take some of that over. There's other times when you're, you know, really deploying a lot and you need more support and things like that. And so it's a kind of a balance that we see. Uh, and we, you know, and sometimes those resources from your current teams want to that ability to learn something new. And there's people who want to say, oh, I want to get into this cloud security and they want to learn something new. And it's an opportunity for them to learn something new. And it's great to have that backing behind them so that they can learn how to do that. Because in our industry, resourcing is just so scarce and it's so hard right now. And that's the, the biggest challenge that I see people coming with. All right. Well, that was a great conversation. Um, unfortunately, we're about out of time. Uh, regarding continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want a sponsored event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team. You can go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel. Great conversation. Michael Carr, Sanjeev Saw, Andy Gilbert, Clear Data for sponsoring, making the event possible, and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks,